Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast. Whether you're watching for the first time or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time, too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show from a 21st century lens. Thanks for listening. Now, on to the episode. Welcome to the first of two of our bonus episodes at the end of season four. Talking about this season, instead of our our ordinary single season wrap-up, we decided season four was so special (laughs) uh, that it deserves to be put on trial. And we brought in some experts to help us out. Some heavy hitters. We are, in fact, experts on this season specifically. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome aboard. We have with us Lark and Jesse from the Buffy podcast. We are the Gayers, um, as well as other podcasts such as The Gaily Prophet. So Lark and Jesse, if each of you would care to introduce yourselves, share your pronouns, say hi, let us know what's up. For sure. My name is Jesse Blount. Uh, My pronouns are she, her, and I am the co-host of all of the podcasts under hashtag Ruthless Productions, which is our overall brand name for our three podcasts, which is, um, wait, three, four numbers. It's four (laughs) now. That's why I'm like, what are numbers? Because we have no self-restraint. It's nice to have have so many you forget, you know, the problem. And yeah, I love talking about, love ripping apart media so much and making everything gay. So (laughs) yeah, um, I am Lark. My pronouns are he, him, and I will, I guess, do a little description of all of our podcasts. So hashtag Ruthless Productions is just me and Jesse, even though we have a quote unquote production company. It's just two people. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, So we make a Harry Potter podcast called The Gaily Prophet. We make a Our Flag Means Death podcast called The Gay Pirate Podcast. We make a Simon Snow podcast podcast called uh, Escape from Reality, which is spelled E-S-G-A-Y-P-E. And then we make We Are the Gayers, which is a Patreon Buffy podcast that comes out every full moon. And we are doing the seasons out of order, starting with, well, we're trading off. I chose the first one and Jesse chose the second one, but we're going by, by favorites. So we started with season four, which is why I say that we are experts, um, because it is the only one that we've finished so far. <laughs> um, and also, obviously, it's, it is my favorite season and like in Jesse's top favorite seasons. So we're like, really qualified for this. I'm sensing a theme with the name of your podcasts. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? <laughs> Can't quite put my finger on it, but something similar. Yeah. Are, are your podcasts kind of gay? Well, <laughs> tiniest, tiniest just, bit. Just a smidge. If you like really yeah. uh, intensely queer, very funny, but also like poignant podcasts about silly silly YA media we are your people no no that that that's mm, not us 
No, I think that's another reason why we're so excited to have you here to do this on trial with us because, hey, season four is pretty queer, right? So it's let's, so yeah, it's the, it's pretty gay. <laughs> so we're going to talk about that for sure. Um, as our listeners who have listened to our on trial episodes before know, we are going to be putting this on trial, but that means that we are going to be the judge, the jurors, the bailiff, the cop that stands next to the to the criminal. <laughs> We're going to be a lot of things. Photographer. Yeah, yeah. Anything you can imagine that's in a courtroom. And we're just going to have a nice conversation about this season. And in the end, we will give it a verdict. What the verdict will be, I don't think we've decided, you know, guilty or innocent of loving. We make the law up as we go along. We sure do. That's the kind of uh, courtroom this is. Uh, And then, of course, we will start off with a very brief summary of what happened in season four, because I know there are some of you freaks out there who are just going to listen to this episode and not listen to the rest of our coverage of season four. I think you're a fool, but I also really applaud your courage and, <laughs> and you know, your, the way you make your way in the world. So if you uh, have not seen Buffy season four, here's what it's about. Buffy the Vampire Slayer and most of her Scooby gang go to college and they discover the next generation of demon fighters, the Initiative, which are a platoon of monster hunting marines located underneath UC Sunnydale, where Willow and Buffy now live in dorms and they attend one class in the whole year. (laughs) Psych. While Buffy falls for uh, its boyish platoon leader, Riley... Willow deals with her first heartbreak as Oz departs the show and then discovers feelings she never knew she had with gentle Tara. Xander skips college altogether. He gets and loses many jobs and dates Anya, who is a former demon. A returned Spike gets the chip on his shoulder replaced by a chip in his head and (laughs) mooches off the Scoobies while figuring out what it all means. Giles is having a midlife crisis and he sings about it. An imperious psychology professor named Maggie Walsh secretly masterminds the gruesome and unethical experiments on captured demons in a modern twist on Frankenstein. In this case, Adam, an initiative super soldier, goes AWOL in a big way. And that is the summary of season four. So we have some areas that we would like to explore. Would you like me to read the charges? Yes, I want you to read the charges. Yes. (laughs) All right. For the record, we are charging season four with being a transitional season from high school to the adult world and all of the awkward growth that entails. We are charging Ruffy with being (laughs) an unsatisfying ship for so many reasons. (laughs) We are charging Adam with being a substitute big bad, a mid-season replacement, if you will, for Maggie Walsh, and not being particularly interesting as a villain. And we are charging the show with being very gay in this season with Willow's (laughs) queer awakening. Um, But I'm curious to see how we feel that holds up, considering that this was almost 25 years ago. Yeah, so those are the charges we're bringing forward. Um, If We Are the Gayers has anything else they would like to lay in front of the jury, uh, do so now. (laughs) But but I think we're ready. I think we should dive right into season four as a transitional 
season and as a big change for what the series has presented us so far. Well, so I think the question is, does it do a good job as a transitional season, right? Do we think that it it successfully lifts the show up from its pool of teenage angst and ascends into the world of adulthood? Or, you know, is it just very awkward and kind of in between two worlds? Really nice use of the word ascension there with the season three <laughs> finale callback. Well um, done, well done. But up, up. <laughs> love a pun. Gonna point all of them out. Um, I think it's great. And I didn't even like go to normal college. So I think that speaks, I think that speaks well. But like, I think that people who did go to normal college and like live in dorms and stuff are probably better qualified to speak to its success than I am. Yeah, um, that would be me. I don't know if uh, I know Kara didn't. Uh, Jesse, I'm not sure if you I, did. I did. You did. Okay, so I did. for me, I found it very authentic. I, you know, obviously without the monsters and all the murders, you know, in my experience, um, you know, like I don't know what other people experience in university. D- different kind of monsters, I find. Well, <laughs> the metaphorical monsters were there, you know. <laughs> I, I saw the metaphors in the monsters. There were definitely some Parkers, I'm sure. I encountered some Parkers. I encountered some cavemen. Um, yeah, I, I found terrible frat boys. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. That one professor from episode one. Yeah, oh, you leave like that guy. <laughs> that guy <Yeah>. <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> You're what is it? You're sucking energy out of everyone in this class. Yeah, he was a classic. Um, yeah, I think like that transition from high school to adult life and how you can feel very displaced. Like I also stayed in residence. I moved to a different city to go to school. Obviously, it wasn't the five miles from my hometown. It was a little. <laughs> bit further uh but you you do you feel like where am i and how do i find my routine and who am i here i can be someone different if i want to be and i think that this season really embraced that and not just with the people who went to college but also with xander and something that um car and i we i don't know if you guys know but we don't like xander <laughs> And we've been quite mean to him in the past. Um, But one bit of sympathy we gave him in season three was that it is actually really nice to see somebody who isn't university bound find their way and explore that journey for them. So even watching Xander transition from high school student or and friend of the Scoobies who's with them every day to not. To construction worker to delivery boy ice cream truck driver uh he does a lot of different jobs yeah he does and i think that's okay to show he's 19 years old why does he have to have it all figured out i know they made a lot of jokes about him being in the basement and you know with the anya relationship development and like whoa you're dating an ex-demon i was like well who are you guys to judge ever (laughs) you know what i mean um but anyway that that transitional period for that time in your life i found very authentic so i would say that season four did a really good job of, of showing that displacement for all, all of the characters. I mean, I think it's just an awkward and uncertain time when you're in your like late teens, early twenties. And so I think that season four is just like an excellent sort of reflection of that. Cause there's like, you know, there's like really, there's like really good highs in the episodes and there's really low lows. Like I think some of the best and worst episodes of the show period are in the season. And um i think it just kind of goes to show that like you know when you're in this time of life you're like you're playing around you're figuring things out you're trying new things and i think the show is also doing these things where it's trying new things it's like playing around it's like trying to figure out 
what even the show looks like post high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you've left a lot of the format behind, right? You don't have the library anymore. They blew it up. <laughs> Those man- monsters, they blew it up. Um, you don't have Giles in his position as librarian or watcher. So I like how the show, they eventually kind of figure out, we're just going to hang out at Giles's house and he's never going to lock his door. It's going to get destroyed right. every They week. didn't do the Boy Meets World, Mr. Feeny, like follows them to college thing. i'm a professor <laughs> now <laughs> yeah. i'm surprised yeah. giles didn't get a job teaching at college wasn't he like an expert in archaeology or something i feel like he's an expert in everything yeah they said that he's like uh oh, the world expert in archaeological like discoveries or something like that in season three and you and oh season two and you and i were like what <laughs> like <laughs> This was never mentioned what? before. Maybe. It is never mentioned again. Maybe you see Sunnydale is a little bit more uh, vets their employees a little bit better than Sunnydale High. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think that's true considering Maggie Walsh. Mark, Betty, she is extremely qualified. True, true, true. And American universities are linked arm in arm with the military industrial complex. So that's true. <laughs> they might true. not even know that she's doing the military stuff. Like that's top secret. Mm. All they know is she's written a bunch of books and like has a PhD, you know? Well, I mean the army commandos who constantly follow her around very unsubtly probably gave it away. <laughs> well, when you live in Sunnydale, there's a certain amount of like cognitive dissonance required yeah. to just like exist at all times. Well, we, we know that Maggie Walsh is a big deal because she teaches the only class at that school, which is Psych 101. <laughs> because throughout the season, this is maybe this is a little drawback, is we'd never see Buffy take another class. She was kicked out of that one guy's class, found Maggie's, and just stayed there. <laughs> never went back anywhere else. She's very behind in her first year studies. Um, but yeah, when you think about college life, right? Like think about all the things that this season covered that are quintessential to college life, you know, like the drinking sexual partners, residents, bad roommates, like bless Kathy, Kathy forever, <laughs> you know, like moving away from mom, like so many times throughout the season, Karen, I was like, where's Joyce at? But it's true. <laughs> Joyce is living her best life. She sure is. A little jo- Joyce is off doing her thing. Right. But, um, so is Buffy. And that's also very authentic to when you first leave home, you're like home who like, bye. See you at Thanksgiving. Right. When I bring all my laundry home. So for me, when I first watched Buffy, I was too young to understand college. I was still in, I think it was in like grade eight, maybe grade nine. So f- the college season washed over me and I'm like, that's so stupid. <laughs> I'm like, they're so boring now <laughs> because I was, I was close enough to high school age that I could appreciate high school drama, but I couldn't appreciate college drama. Mm-hmm. And then as I've aged and rewatched Buffy over and over, season four always grows on me just a little bit every time I watch it in various ways. So I was so excited to watch it for the podcast because I'm like, okay, like last time I watched the show, season four was better than I remembered it. Let's see what happens this time. And again, like, I'm just like, huh, as we as we reviewed the episodes, I'm like, there's some stuff in here where I'm like, I, I, this actually really holds up. And certainly looking at it from hindsight, even though maybe I, I didn't have quite the same type of experience in post-secondary, um, yeah, like I can relate to a lot of that struggle of not knowing who you are in the adult world, trying to figure it out. I think what really struck me in this season was how much I identified with somebody like Tara 
who feels very awkward in social situations and is trying to figure out who she is um, and just all of the stuff with Willow and Tara, which I know we'll get into in a bit here, but just like, I think when I was younger, I saw myself more as Willow because I identified with Willow's intellectuality. And now I'm like, mm, no, I'm actually an awkward Tara. <laughs> That's like thinking that you're a Ravenclaw and then embracing your Hufflepuff, I feel like, <laughs> which is beautiful. That's like a really good life path to have, unlike being stuck on Gryffindor train like me. <laughs> um, well, I'm actually really glad you brought this up because I, I didn't watch Buffy when it was coming out. I didn't watch it when I was in high school. So I didn't see it until after I'd graduated college and was like in a like pretty deep depression so like i binged the entire season like the entire show in like two months like i would get up before work and watch like two episodes <laughs> and so i feel like so when i first watched it i'm like season four like really resonated with me on top of just you know about being like yeah what is this weird place when you're like adrift from home and your family and you know you're trying to build these relationships outside of that um but it's just such a rewatchable season, like like season. <laughs> no, it is. It is the one thing that I thought was inauthentic with these Scoobies, with you know Buffy and Willow heading off to university, is the lack of friends that they make. Like when you live in residence, you are surrounded by kids your age, like hundreds of them. Like surely you guys would make one new friend that didn't end up being a romantic partner, but like it it didn't happen. <laughs> And that's one thing where I think throughout the season, Car and I were always like, you guys are just hanging out with each other at, at these frat parties. Like, go go mingle. <laughs> go make some friends, you know? They might die, but, like, take the chance. <laughs> okay, wait. This is actually really funny because I actually went to college with someone that I knew in high school. <laughs> and, like, we made other friends, but, like, consistently it was, like, the two of us and then whoever else and then another, another person that we met that we just sort of sucked into our, like, friend group. Oh, see, I love that. I I need that perspective. No, that's great because I went to high school. I went to university and lived with my friend from high school, and we uh, were not friends anymore. So <laughs> you, you gotta branch out and make new friends sometimes, you know. I mean, it which which definitely happens. So. Yeah, though I like I like that you brought that out. That's a really good point. I feel like Willow tried to make friends, <laughs> at least. It, there was one episode, the I think it was Fear itself, where she was like, "Hey guys, like oh, I'll see you at the party." Like she was, she was like she's the most popular person in her residence, and that's the last we ever saw of it. Because you know? <laughs> then she moves in with Buffy, and like wherever she's like not in that hall anymore, like yeah. those budding potential relationships are just gone. Yeah, maybe they were just in a bad dorm, like a, a residence that just didn't really work. Yeah, for it's them. possible. I mean, I also like they're they have so many secrets like mm. and buffy tried to make friends with that one dude the human bondage dude and he like immediately died <laughs> and i can see them just being like you know what we just need to stick together let's <laughs> not even like we can't help it if we fall in love with people and like maybe they have to come into our group but other than that like I can't. Yeah, I it, just can't. It hurts too much after <laughs> right. Jenny, after Eddie. There's just too much heartbreak. <laughs> yep. Another thing to consider about this season in terms of transition, they really take more chances with how they structure episodes, how they tell stories in this season, right? You have the obvious examples like Hush, very different, very experimental kind of episode. Even something like Superstar, where we pretend Jonathan's the main character and redo the credits. <laughs> so good. <laughs> but also like the season finale, the way that Primeval, where we dispatch the big bad, is actually the penultimate episode of the season. 
And then you have Restless, which is quite a polarizing episode for a lot of fans. So that's different too. So I feel like in season four, the writers and the producers were like, we can try stuff that we maybe weren't ready to try in the first few seasons, both because they lacked the confidence of the network, but also just because the actors and the crew were so much more comfortable in these roles and in what they were doing with the show. Yeah. Yeah. And in the spirit of transitions as well, um, the transition of former big bads or demons into normal, what can be considered normal life in Sunnydale, which goes to Anya and Spike, right? Like that's not, you know, the high school to university experience, but maybe it was for them. That's like, you know, people who've been alive well, for hundreds the, and hundreds of years. The cool kid in high school isn't necessarily going to be the cool popular kid in college, right? Yeah, right. they get chipped and then, you know, <laughs> they live in a crypt and that's... <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, but I, anything else to say for these charges before we move on to the Ruffy of it all? Well, just by way of segue, like, I feel like Ruffy is the central bone of contention for people as we debate and discuss the quality of season four in Buffy, right? Riley is the spanner in the works because, you know, when, if we talk about ships, right, and how, like, some people get very passionate in their ships. It's like Bangel or Spuffy or whatever. I have yet to meet somebody who seriously, not ironically, but seriously will be a diehard Ruffy defender. I don't know if any of you have met a Ruffy defender. I don't know if they exist. I know there are people out there who think that he was Buffy's best partner, um, but I've never met anybody who's like, yeah, she should have stayed with Riley. I mean, I think you're right to like sort of use tie that into the transitionalness of this season because I think he's a great transitional boyfriend. Mm, and yeah, I think that, that a lot of people's hatred of Riley is really rooted in season five Riley, but it's very hard as someone who like loves the whole show to be like, what if we separate? What if we just look at season four Riley? Because season four Riley is like pretty great. And he's I think okay. Yeah, he's good. Both, like, shocked in our rewatch to be like so another episode where riley's doing a really good job and looking super hot and the only man on this show who can wear a t-shirt that fits <laughs> this, is, this is working like we're feeling weird and like halfway through we were like oh we just we just don't like season five riley like if we stopped here We'd, he'd be kind of okay. Yeah, that's such a good point because I remember like the first half of season four, Car and I would be covering it. And then at one episode, I was just like, I'm attracted to him. Like I just, I wasn't <laughs> expecting it. It just, it just crawled up on me. But it's because he's actually, like we're saying, he's he's good. He's good for, especially for the first half, right? Like we meet him and we, we, I mean, from the start, we're going to make fun of him for being like, golly gee, and like that kind of personality. But there's nothing wrong with that. And he's like a nice person, a smart person at first. <laughs> um, but he he he's kind and he cares. And I think there was that, I think the scene was when he saves Willow from getting hit by that car in Wild at Heart. When she's heartbroken, he saves her. And he's like, you know, it's not worth hurting yourself over. And that's, it's just a very small thing to say to somebody who's hurting but that that got me. And I was like, okay, Riley, like that, you know what, like, mm, I would fall in love with you too, if this is how you stay, like, stay like this, stay, boy, you know? Um, 
he doesn't, but uh, for sure, like the the majority of season four, I mean, his transition in this in this uh, season is going from you know Captain Do Good and Black Captain Black and White to Anarchist, and that's arguably should be a very compelling story. It, it didn't really turn out that way, but I get where they're going with his character, and for the most part, we were pretty on board with it. Yeah, I feel like that's where Riley loses me. You know, I was on board with our recap of the season and my gradual awakening to the realization that Riley is a himbo. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't sure when, when some, when somebody brought that up, I'm like, I don't know if he qualifies as a himbo, but then a few episodes later, I was like, yeah, we're in full on himbo territory now. <laughs> and like you said, Steph, that should be fun and his arc should be interesting. But my general complaint about Riley is that he's boring. Well, let's, let's, I mean, to be fair, like season four is a very funny season. It might be the funniest season that we've watched yet out of the four. So amongst all this fun and amongst all of the singing Giles, right, and the Spike shenanigans and everything that we enjoy in this season, Riley, when his story became about him not trusting the initiative and Maggie watched me have sex and now I'm drugged and like all these things, it felt like dead weight in a lot of ways. And uh, we pointed out a lot of the time how Riley's storylines were weak interpretations or weak repetition of something that Buffy's already dealt with, but in a more diverse way back in season two and three, like when, when she's fighting Angelus and he's like, you know, take all that away. What's left. She says me. And like, she says that to Riley, like when he's going through his little breakdown, she's like, you know, you're all you need, like you're a good person. And like, it is showing Buffy and how she's had this journey, but like, why does she need to teach it to Riley? Like, why do we care? about Riley so that we can have that scene where he punches his superior officer in the face and says no sir I'm an anarchist I would not (laughs) trade that for anything in the world (laughs) I just love it like it's it makes everything worth it yeah yeah and like again seeing him get to there was a little bit of a chore for us because we're like oh like I don't I don't care so much. But when he got there, we were like, yes, finally, you've made a decision, the right decision. And that's good. I I do see what you're saying, Lark, about how Riley is a good boyfriend for Buffy in this moment, in this transition, coming down the high from Angel and going towards whatever's in her future, right? It's like, I understand that. And, And I honestly, I think Ruffy itself is not terrible. I think there are some terrible... I don't, I don't think that they deal well with things that happen to them later in the season, <laughs> which Steph and I have been talking about lately, um, when Faith comes into play and really messes things up, and then Angel, and then their communication is not great. But I think my issue with Ruffy is mostly just Riley as a person. Um, the way he is is kind of like a boring guy. I'm just like, mm, okay, but Buffy, there's more exciting people out there. I don't think that exciting is like the best goal in a partner, though. I that feel is, like that is very fair. Yeah, kind and supportive and like emotionally available. Like those are he's a better friend to Willow that in season four than Buffy is consistently. True. It's so true. That's yeah. hot. Like mm. being a good person is super hot. And like once he's free of the military, he can probably find some interests that aren't the military. But like being a secret monster hunter kind of is like a huge personality trait to have like and buffy does love a workplace 
Buffy loves a workplace romance. <laughs> yeah, so bad. It's she true. Likes, she likes someone. <laughs> she likes, you know, not a lot of work-life balance for her. So yeah, someone no who one, can someone meet her can... in the hungry and horny place. You know, <laughs> no. yeah. As, I mean, even with his like fish face, sex face. Yeah. Um, I and like I said this too. I said like I am actually in the in the everyone's favorite episode where the wild things are. Um, I said you know as much as we have to watch them roll around sheeted up in bed for you know 43 minutes i'm happy that buffy is able to have this experience it is a big part of this time in your life when you can have sex and you're in your honeymoon phase and she's enjoying it and he's kind to her and he's not you know leaving her in the like the next morning he's not parker where he just ditches her right after he's under a spell and he remembers to use a condom every time <laughs> like what is hotter than that mm, thank you the wb <laughs> <laughs> Like, that's what we want to see our young kids doing. You know what I mean? Um, But yeah, like, hey, so so having this part for Buffy and like you're saying, like a good transitional boyfriend, a happy time for the two of them, for the most part, we're happy to see that. Right. So I am here for Ruffy. For the most part, I was here for Ruffy in season four. There was just a couple stumbling blocks and like Cara was saying, you know, sometimes their communications off. Riley does show a little bit of that toxic energy that we're going to see more of in season five. Uh, but as it is, it was it was passable for this season for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I don't think we can expect perfection from somebody. Right. That's a very high bar to set. <laughs> and I feel like communicating with with. One of Buffy's challenges is communicating with her partners Mm -hmm. or communication, I think, in general. So, like, it is sort of to... I I don't find it out of character that her and Riley have communication issues because that's one of her weak points. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I also think Buffy can be very unfair to Riley sometimes because she's not over Angel, right? Like, we see that in this season, especially towards the end. She's not over him. And... Although it was very wise of them to decide, like, we're going to break up and spend this time apart. She gets into this relationship with Riley and his feelings of jealousy or insecurity regarding Angel are pretty understandable Mm -hmm. because Buffy, even if she's not always talking about Angel, it's like Angel's this unseen presence all the time. Yeah, the bit where they meet and like spend like an inordinate amount of time beating each other oh. up is like very ridiculous. Oh, it is ludicrous. It's, just like... it's ludicrous. I-, I was like, number one, like Riley would ever be able to hurt Angel, who like battles demons on the daily. Um, but number two, like that's just toxic masculinity. That's the show just being like, we want to see these guys fight over Buffy. Like, obviously, that's what we want to see. Like, Angel couldn't fight Scott Hope. He couldn't fight Owen, but he could definitely fight Riley. And it's like, well, <laughs> you know, so yeah, <laughs> like I, ju- I just feel like those elements of Riley that come out, uh, like we're saying earlier, right? Like they, they make sense and we, we he, he's flawed too. And you think that they can work on these things together near the end. Uh, we have one more episode to go before we finish watching the season. We still have to watch Restless, but uh, I like that the show has shown us a couple cracks in there that maybe they'll work out in the future. Maybe they won't. Maybe those cracks will get bigger. I don't know. Maybe Riley will be a nice lesbian. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Ooh, fingers crossed. (laughs) Would love to see that. Um, Or maybe Spike and Adam, since Adam's gone now, uh, Spike will move on from Spadam to 
spily <laughs> is that what we can call them <laughs> fingers Boy, crossed this has come through with like with like everyone i would i would watch that I'm oh not gonna lie. no uh, we would be there for we were so there for spadum this season <laughs> uh well that's a good transition right there into adam as the big bad um starting off with the love story of the century i thought it was going to be <laughs> I like really I'm I'm rooting for Spoys like Spike and Joyce all the way but um Spadum really really stole our hearts when they met each other and they he was like Spike I want you to come with me <laughs> Man that was such a good scene <laughs> So many missed opportunities this season truly Yeah so so what did you guys think of Adam Adam the big bad of the season the floppy disc master himself <laughs> i until this rewatch was always sort of lukewarm about adam but i with the like closer rewatch i was actually i was actually really digging it like even if even if it's obvious that they you know shoehorned adam in because they couldn't have maggie be the true big bad i found adam to be like a funny and like tragic sort of big bad so like he didn't he didn't ask to be here. He's just like like part of it is just like, what am I? What am I doing? And even if his tendencies ended to be sort of like create a, an army like myself, it's sort of like He just doesn't want to be alone. Yeah. Like he was still experimented on against his will and is kind Oops of like among us has not tried to build an army of people like us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's what I spend the majority of my college trying to do. To be I mean, we are like <laughs> professional spreaders of the gay agenda still now. So, <laughs> so you really understood Adam is what you're trying to say. <laughs> I have I have always really, really I so I think it's like Adam slash the initiative. I don't think it's fair to just be like Adam's the big bad because I think the whole initiative is the big bad, mm -hmm. which like the government is evil. I'm down for that as a plot line always. Um but also like it's just like really, really campy. I think so like all gay people, my favorite Batman movie is Batman and Robin. The <laughs> least loved most just like shit on Batman movie that is so campy and so gay. And I feel like Adam kind of has like Mr. Freeze vibes. Like he makes <laughs> a lot of puns. He has a very dry sense of humor and a very dry delivery, which is like my sweet spot of humor. Oh, you mean like what and killed like, the dinosaurs? The Ice Age. <laughs> like that's yes. I love that movie too. Oh my god. I love Thank that you. movie. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's the best one <laughs> it's the best one yeah, it is. i'm just like i'm just really pro camp and like this season is campy no matter what but i think that having such an oversized absurd big bad is what like is the cherry on on the ice cream sundae of campiness that is season four and i i think it's perfect i enjoyed the performance of Adam's actor for many of the reasons you just outlined, Lark. He does a very good job of es establishing himself from the moment we first meet him. And there's that scene when he's interacting with Spike and Adam's like, yeah, I know how you feel. And then he waxes poetical for like 30 <laughs> seconds describing how Spike feels like this caged animal. And <laughs> Steph and I were talking about how like Adam's a better poet than Spike is. <laughs> Sure is. Yeah. <laughs> that really got to me. Um, because I think there there are hidden depths 
to Adam's character. I think what frustrates me about the season, and and maybe this is just the result of production issues and changes to how they plan to tell the story, I don't know. I feel like we didn't get to explore Adam as a character and as a person the same way we have the opportunity to explore many of the other big bads, right? Like the mayor, we eventually learn a lot more about his backstory, um, who he was, how he founded Sunnydale, he was married, all of these things. And even though Adam doesn't have as much like a, of a backstory per se, because he has just been brought into being, it just it felt like there was so much more there for his character. And when I say Adam is a big is a disappointing big bad, I don't think that's a failure on the part of Adam. I think it's like the season doesn't do him justice. Yeah, this is something I brought up in um, Primeval too, is that my thing with the big bads that we've seen up until now is that they actually do pose a threat. Uh, and the threat is that they actually all go through with what they set out to do. The master escapes his prison and Jealous uh, does start a Cathla to suck up the world and uh, the mayor does ascend. Right. So it's up to Buffy and the gang to overcome something that's already happened. And the stakes are very high with those with those uh, villains. Right. People can die. Um, one of the Scoobies could potentially die like some did. Right. With Adam, it lacks that. And that's something that was disappointing for me. But then I also think about Adam in a transitional season and the initiative itself in a transitional season. And the very fact that the very last episode isn't this big climactic ending the way the other ones were, it's just very possible that at the end of the day, they're saying that this season is not about that big dramatic ending because it's starting something new. So I think there that that is a good thing about it, but it's also it is kind of disappointing for me where I'm like, oh well, where were the stakes? Like I never once worried that Xander was going to die or hoped that Xander was going to die. You know what I mean? Like it was just never going to happen. Um, and you know, if Forrest died, like oh that sucked, but he kind of already died already, right? And then like if Riley died, um, oh no, but it, it like I just didn't think it was going to happen, and it didn't. So the stakes just weren't high in terms of what the main villain usually brings to the table with these seasons. Uh, I, I, honestly, I think, I think, I think you're all right. I think it would have been excellent to have a little more time and kind of more breathing space with Adam, just because of like how much I like ended up liking him. So it, 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 I think it would have been really great to, ex to explore his characterization more as opposed to sort of like, I definitely think there are some episodes where it's like, oh, we need to have a big bad. So we got to like have him for like a couple of scenes to be like, we have a big bad this season, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. which is unfortunate. I also just feel like he, for somebody who doesn't have a day job, unlike the mayor, he <laughs> doesn't advance his plans very quickly. I just feel like Adam, you could have worked a little bit harder here. He's just he's learning about humanity. Like his job is just like watching a million TVs at once and just like absorbing information. Yeah, like the mayor had like what two hundred years of being the mayor, however long many years he's pretend he's been the mayor. Yeah, did. Adam was like born, and then he's like, okay, I've got three weeks to shake things up. Um, he also had one really good vampire minion, and then we never saw him again like in superstar he had that one he was he, i think he was not famous but he's another actor that we've seen before Rob benedict 
Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he, so he was his like sidekick for that one episode, and then he got replaced with Spike, obviously because Adam was in love with Spike. Um, but my favorite thing about Adam, though, is you know he inserts floppy disks into his chest, and they don't come out. So when Buffy reaches into him and grabs out his uranium power source, I was like, imagine she had to break through all these floppy disks first. What if they just spilled out onto the floor? <laughs> oh my god, I want that director's I thought, cut. I thought we established he poops out floppy disks. Uh, well, I mean, that would be very painful for him. There's a floppy disk in the bat in his butt that <laughs> slurps them out. But like, we never saw his body. It, like you're like Lark is saying, it could have just been on the ground, floppy disks everywhere. <laughs> I'm just imagining now like an owl pellet, but it's like a little compressed ball that is just floppy yes. disk material. <laughs> it's so kind of Mickey Walsh to put that into his like biology that you know I don't want him to poop squares; it has to crumble up. <laughs> perfect, perfect. I, so I think that. It feels right to me that the big bad of season four is underwhelming because it feels like an allegory for like going out into the world and like being 18 and you have all these hopes and expectations. And then it just is like, oh, like, <laughs> oh, this, it's a good way of looking this at is it. What, this is what life is. Yeah. And because I feel like this really or this season is about relationships. It's not about fighting evil mm-hmm. in the same way as previous seasons have been. And like. But is that good TV? Yes, it's wonderful because at like Buffy like rips. I, shit, sorry, I'm like so stoked about the way Adam dies. Just when he's <laughs> no, just that's like great. interesting, and yeah. then she rips out his core, and it's like it's done, it's over, and they have to do the spell and whatever. But it's not like a giant fight. It's not emotional. It's just it's just done because the point isn't Adam, and the point isn't the initiative. The point is like the Scoobies figuring out how to be friends as adults and Giles figuring out who he is if he's not a librarian and a watcher and what his relationship to his like adopted daughter is and like why he's in love with this chipped vampire and <laughs> all of the all of that that's what's important so why isn't season six your favorite season it's my second favorite season <laughs> okay that tracks that's, that's how I kind of feel about season six I think season six does not have a strong villain at all no, it basically doesn't happen. But I don't think it needs one. Correct. Well, and like to your question, Cara, like is does that make it good TV, right? And it's like, well, it makes it new and different TV from the TV Buffy's shown us before. I think season six has other story arcs that make it compelling. And maybe that's maybe that's where I'm coming down harder on season four is, is that some of its story arcs just don't seem to gel or seem to be more kind of disharmonious than season six's various story arcs, which all just seem to come together in a nice symphony, from my experience at least. Whereas like season four, it's just like, you got this going on over here. You got this going on over here. And maybe that's the thing is it's like, Adam is the big bad, is underwhelming. And I see the point you're making there, Lark. Like, yeah, like it, it does work allegorically, but it's also just like, Mm, I don't know. I like, I look at season four and I'm like, I don't have a lot to hold on to. Maybe the best villains are the individual villains that we saw, like Gaknar and the gentleman. Like those are really good villains for this season. Gaknar was the most terrifying villain of the entire series. What are you talking about, Steph? (laughs) Gaknar is an excellent villain. 
Someday I'm going to have a tiny dog named Gagnar. That's like one of my bucket list items. A little chihuahua. <laughs> I cannot wait for that to happen. I oh want a teacup Doberman specifically for no reason, but like, yeah. yes. It has to be a tiny a, little thing. A little yappy thing. a small dog. <laughs> yeah, like the smallest one. Like the teacup, like little chihuahuas that you can get. Yeah, that would be perfect. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, just in general for villains, like this, this uh, season had ups and downs in terms of its episodes but the strongest episodes had very good villains or at least entertaining villains or ones that we've never seen before you know it's not that generic monster suit that sometimes they would just throw on in season two and three and just send them out there you know yeah i think that's another thing where adam doesn't quite work for me is this idea that it, it it's difficult for adam to be present and act as a threat towards Buffy because he is initially quite OP, right? Like she fights him and he skewers Riley with his arm needle, right? <laughs> um, and so we don't quite get the same kind of banter that we got with Angelus or the mayor. Um, he poses such a physical threat to everybody. And something I really enjoyed about the previous seasons were all of the smaller things that the big bad did to get in the way of Buffy and the Scoobies. And we see less of that from Adam. I think part of that is because his half of the season is quite rushed in its development. But I just, again, it's not a criticism of Adam himself so much as just like, it's this missed opportunity. I'm like, if we had given Adam more time, what kinds of plots could he have come up with? We, we could have had it all. How many more jokes could he have made? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. All the floppy disks he could have consumed in that time. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, well, are, are we ready to move on to our last charge, which is how the show handles Willow's queer awakening? So what do you two think of Willow coming out to Buffy? I feel like for the time period, it like... It makes sense and does a pretty good job for, what is it, 2000 or whatever, 1999, 2000, whenever this se- this season has aired. Um, it's like perfectly fine. <laughs> uh, obviously, if this show was coming out now, there would be a lot more things that would hopefully be there. But, you know, even Buffy sort of scrambling to like readjust her like mental picture of who Willow is is like it's fine like that is what heterosexuals do when you come out to them it's just like oh you know yes, I we mean, do <laughs> i mean lol to buffy being heterosexual but like you know buffy's still trying to be like oh okay yeah that's cool great well <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez. uh yeah i mean i I think I th- I think I just like feel fine about it. I think it's fine. I yeah. really like all of the like very heavy like double entendre sort of moments that they give Willow and Tara just make me happy like every single time the like dramatic blowing out of the candle at the end of whatever episode mm. that is. I'm just like, <laughs> yes, this is wonderful. <laughs> so that's something I really enjoyed with the development of this story arc for Willow and the development of her relationship with Tara in this season is is that um comparison, that parallel with being gay and being a witch. 
And that was always interplayed with each other. That was always something that they, you know, like by the time we got to the Yoko factor, literally Spike says like, if someone wants to be a witch, that's their business. You know what I mean? Like, I think, and I I think that they, I I mean, in some ways that metaphor is kind of like, okay, you guys like just say it. Right. But like Jesse's saying, this is 2000 and they weren't allowed to show it, let alone say it on, on air. So they did the best they could and they found this, parallel that i found to be uh very satisfying to watch yeah especially that orgasm circle remember (laughs) Uh, so many orgasms in this season orgasm circles orgasm walls orgasm poltergeist this is a very horny season this this is is this the horniest season of buffy i don't know orgasm wall is like one of the most awkward things that i have ever witnessed with my eyes like that's (laughs) did you review where the wall things are we should have. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's the one where Giles sings. How could we not? Yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So Steph and I were kind of like the two of you, kind of pleasantly surprised about how Willow's coming out to, to Buffy holds up for its time, at least. And then, like Steph was saying, kind of the parallels there as Willow's figuring herself out. I really liked that. I thought that when Oz comes back in New Moon Rising. It's, I called it heart heart aching, not heartbreaking, just heart aching, right? Mm. And the show is so sympathetic to all of the characters, to Willow and Oz and Tara. I really liked that. I like obviously Oz has a hard time with it, but I like the way that he follows Willow's lead and he accepts the boundaries that she puts in place. You know, he isn't toxic about it. And I thought that was important as as much as Willow's coming out to Buffy is important. I thought that Oz handling the fact that she's not coming back to him um, and as well as his discovery, of course, that she's now with Tara is also important because I, I think that's something that people worry about as they move into different relationships, especially if they're these less conventional kind of like, you know, queer relationships would be how will people that I care about, people that I used to be with, how will they react? How will they treat me? Um, And as much as Willow may no longer be with Oz, she still clearly cares for him. I feel like I also really appreciate, I think specifically um, when we get Oz coming back, is that even though it's like not ever discussed, we don't ever get a sense that Oz was like her purse or her cover and like you know Willow's just been you know a lesbian this entire time where it's like she clearly like had like love and affection and attraction for Oz and you know now she's in this new relationship and while even though I would have loved for them to have verbalized this uh in some way I still think it's great that it's there you know like we don't ever get a sense that her relationship was Oz you know, was somehow not as intense and real as her relationship with uh, Tara and like vice versa, honestly. So like they both, like both these relationships feel real and important to Willow, which is great because of, (laughs) I don't know, the lack of visibility around like the sort of, you know, I want to say by visibility, even though I'm not 
totally like but like kind of i mean the show goes on to do a lot of by erasure when it comes to willow but in this season i think it is like a very nice by visibility season because like you said it does it it's like yeah these are both these are both real and i also think that this the episode where oz coming comes back is important because there is such a like trope of like women experimenting during college and then like going back to being straight and so having this sort of cementing episode where it's like she had the opportunity to have this man that she thought was the love of her life back and she's like that's you're not the person that I want to be with right now and like this is a real relationship feels just like really different from I think a lot of what was going on in 1999 and just really nice or Sorry, 2001, whenever it was. <laughs> yeah, um, whatever. Same, yeah. Just like a really nice shift from, I think, a lot of what media was handing people at that time. Tara's also just so adorable. <laughs> yeah. No, like I yeah. said, I yeah. really relate to her and watching Willow come out and watching the way Tara handles Oz being back and the way she's like, it's okay, you know, we'll always be friends, it's fine. <laughs> and, and something I, I articulated when we were reviewing that episode was how I've definitely felt that way, um, you know, especially as an aromantic person. I don't really desire a partner in that sense, but I have people in my life, friends that I would consider to be so incredibly close platonically. But there's always a part of me that feels this pressure in our society to minimize the importance of that relationship because that internalized sense of like, we need to put romance at the top of this hierarchy, right? And I'm like, it's it's fine. Right. You don't have to call me. You know, you're busy with your partner, um, which is just so toxic. And to see Tara replicating yeah. that, you know, to see her making herself smaller like that and then have Willow choose her at the end of that episode, right? She comes to Tara's dorm room when the power is out and there's a candle and, you know, Tara thinks Willow's there to break her heart. And then Willow's like, no, I'm choosing you. It's just like, oh, it's such a powerful moment. Yeah. It's it's such a win for awkward uh, queer <laughs> women. I'm like, yes, fine. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many people who have written into um, Prophecy Girls to say how much they see their story in Willow, whether they're lesbians or bisexual. And Kara has done a really good job of explaining how she relates so much to Tara and what Tara goes through. And um, one thing that we did touch a lot of that we touched on a lot in this season was it is a disappointment that the network um, and America, you know, couldn't handle seeing two women kiss or touch or show their relationship physically at all. And we're like, yeah, that sucks. They have to blow out candles and pant next to each other, you know, like that, that's what they have to do to get around that. But we were also saying how nice it is to depict a relationship that doesn't necessarily need physical touch to feel that intimacy. And that goes into what Kara is saying about feeling um, platonically uh, love for her friends and feeling close to them, but also in a relationship where people might not be physical and they can express themselves, maybe not by blowing out candles and such, or maybe, I don't know. Um, but the point <laughs> is, it, it's good to show that that is an, a type of intimacy that we can get on board with and that we can understand when it's not your typical 
kissing or hugging or any of that kind of thing. Like, I mean, I'm sure, you know, th- this couple wishes they could show that to everybody on screen if they had known they're on a TV show. <laughs> but as it is, I think it's okay. And I, I think it is a nice depiction of that type of relationship as well. Yeah, it'll be it'll be exciting when you get to season six, because that's the season, that's the network change where they can like, say that they're girlfriends and like kiss and shit. Like, I don't remember how much of that is in season five, but it definitely is more of that in season six. They get to kiss in season five, but not a lot. It's at the body, isn't it? Mm. Like it's a comfort thing and grief. Yeah. Yeah. Season five, though, I do feel is is like kind of the sweet spot for at least Willow's queerness on the show, Uh, because I want to throw this out here and I'm very curious to see what y'all think. Willow's a toxic character in many ways, and she hurts the people that she falls for, right? Like, she cheated on Oz, and she manipulates Tara's memory, which I think is pretty much unforgivable. And, And, you know, Willow does some bad stuff in her relationships. How do we feel about that in terms of Willow being the most prominent openly queer character on the show? I mean, I think we see that kind of behavior in different ways from all of our main characters because all of them are human that's true yeah and everyone has really intense relationships <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's the hell mouth baby i mean cheat like cheating is bad but also willow's what like 15 at that point and like as someone who like cheated on a lot of people in high school, it's like incredibly fun. <laughs> I'm not condoning it, but like the feeling of like intense like guilt and power is like similar to being on a roller coaster. I'm just like, yeah, of course you did that. Like, of course you did. It's bad. I don't know that Oz should have taken her back. I mean, you do you make a point there, right? Like that's something that Steph and I were kind of talking about in this season between Riley and Buffy, where we're like, oh, God, this is just so bad. This communication is so bad. And then, then we're like, well, you know, Buffy is 18. Riley is <laughs> yeah. like young. Like, we ha- we do have to kind of make that allowance. for Yeah, the, you for learn how to communicate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. it takes, unfortunately, trial and error. And sometimes, like, I think we've all just have done fucked up shit to people where like, oh, I really wish I hadn't have said or done that to that person. But I just didn't know or didn't realize at the time that that was a really shitty thing to do. Um, And even like inside of long-term relationships, it happens. Like the best thing that you can hope for is like having good enough communication to be able to like actually work through it meaningfully. And I'm very sorry that I cut you off, Jesse, please continue. Oh no, I think, I think I was done with my thought. So Yeah, so hopefully Willow's just somewhere in the future being like, oh, I shouldn't have taken Tara's memory like that. That's on me, you know? Like, hopefully she's reflected at this point. <laughs> well, yes, I think I think eventually Willow <laughs> feels very guilty for that, <laughs> um, considering what happens, right? Yeah. What one would hope, yeah. yes. I, I think that uh, there's, a, there's definitely a future where Willow reflects back in the season six time of her life to be like, Oh no. <laughs> Oopsie. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, it's it's a rough time for everyone. It's part of the journey. What do we think about, you know, Willow's queer awakening in season four and within this context of like season four itself being, you know, quite a queer season. And I'm I'm kind of thinking about how like up until this point, you know, we only had subtext, right? We could ship like Ethan and Giles, because we knew they got up to some shit 
in their you know oh yeah oh yeah um clearly ethan and giles had some stuff going on (laughs) uh and Uh, and we could you know talk about i i mean i don't know what spike and angel got up to back in the day and all those flashback scenes um, stuff. There was some, there, there was some stuff going on with Spike and Angel stuff. and Darla and Drusilla. <laughs> yeah, so like there, yeah. there's always the ability to read <laughs> into what we didn't see on the screen in those earlier seasons. But season four really kind of brings it out with Willow and Tara, obviously. But then also, like, you know, there are some of these other characters. Like we, we were joking about Spike and Adam, but like it's 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 really there. It's right? there. Like, <laughs> yeah. Spike is a very queer character the way that he's coded, right? Yeah. And I feel like that's even more prominent in season four, I think is what I'm saying, than it was in the previous seasons where we saw Spike. Yeah, he's interacted with a lot more, we seem interact with a lot more people in this season. Like, I think that the, I think the vibe between like Spike and Giles is like real, just like. <laughs> Rupert. Yeah, he calls him Rupert. Uh, like, yeah, daddy and bratty bottom, <laughs> hardcore. Yes. So I also, I mean, I feel like Spike and Drusilla are one of those like straight couples can't be queer. Explain these two. Like, <laughs> you know, they belong on that list. Lark presents to the jury <laughs> Drusilla and Spike. <laughs> Listen, I am, no one can convince me that Spike, Drusilla, Angel, and Darla were just not in a giant. Uh, polycule for some yeah that, that's how i feel Thank that's you. how i read it because like when yeah. you, they, they were spending decades together right like you can't not surely like, yeah. yeah all these good-looking people like yeah <laughs> it happened definitely mm-hmm. not that that has anything to do with season four but just in spikes in spikes <laughs> but, you know character in I'm general saying, right yeah. is spike is ripped away from all of that spike is a loner in this season in a many way in many ways but it, like jesse pointed out he spends so much more time with different characters. And I think that just that's what jumps out at me about this season is if we're evaluating it in terms of like the queerness, the queer subtext of the show, the season has this freedom to experiment with putting characters in different situations that they weren't in in high school um, and exploring these things in a, in a much bolder way. And obviously that comes to fruition most most intensely with Willow and Tara. But I think we also see it with some of these other characters on the side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I feel like I'd be remiss to point out that Forrest's obsession with Riley is definitely sexual. And like, obviously we have a lot of his dialogue being like super sexist, but I feel like the way that he is so obsessed with Riley and his sex life and what he's doing and who he's with is very much like... I don't I don't know if this is this does not just seem like straight frat boy nonsense. <laughs> Sorry for Yeah, he's a little bit too invested, in right? Yeah. Yeah, we we talked about that up too. We're like, yeah, I could like see how people could read it this way for sure cuz it's all there in the dialogue. Like Forrest, get a life. Like you, you could also go find a girlfriend, you <laughs> for, know. Forrest and in a, in an alternate universe, Forrest and Riley are together and Graham's their dad. Oh. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I am Sweet deeply invested in the Forrest Riley dynamic, and Jesse writes uh, fanfic for our Patreon sometimes, and she's written several <laughs> specifically for me, Forrest. Riley <laughs> <fanfics>. Amazing. <laughs> do do so you write wonderful. it anonymously, Lark? 
And then Jesse figured it out. It was you. I write, I write it. I write it for Lark that we also yeah. share with our patrons. Okay. <laughs> it's not like it's not like a, a letter where it's like, please write. You, you know, finally. This is me coming um, out as the, the person who requested that fanfic. Yes. <laughs> oh, that that was me. That's been me the whole time. <laughs> but I I also do have an Ao3 account. Okay, so, okay, okay. But that is mostly anonymous because. I'm an old school. Spill it here. Person, no so one like, listens to us. Tell us who it is. Putting putting your name on things. That's all right. Mm, it's not. I'm good. What is the what is the ship name? Is it Filey or is it Rorist? I feel like sometimes the portmanteaus just don't work, and I'm like not. I'm like none of it. I like the ones. Name. I like the ones where it's like more like Wolfstar, where it's not like a portmanteau of their names. It's like a portmanteau of their essences. <laughs> That's the, <laughs> the serious, uh, serious black Remus Lupin ship is called Wolf Star. I love it. It's powerful. Yeah, I do not I, know what the Riley Forest ship name would be. So we should come up with one. We made up Ry- Ruffy. We don't know if that's actually the ship. That's just what we call it because it's fun to say. I I've n- literally never seen fan fiction that is just uh buffy and riley and let's tell you yeah it doesn't <laughs> exist it stands out for the fact that it is so absent i want i want uh, the one diehard ruffy fan to write in i want them to come talk to us i would interview them because i'd be know, like tell me they must exist somewhere out there i mean on tiktok i get a lot of uh sympathizers but I bet, I bet, if I were to be like, oh yeah, they're your, 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 like, was it like one true pairing or whatever you would say, and they'd be like, oh no, like you know what I mean? Like I don't think anyone would ever ride or die for Ruffy. They shouldn't. <laughs> but if someone out there might, yeah, yeah, I mean, someone can be perfect for you for a period of time in your life, yeah. right? I do feel and that not forever. Absolutely, yeah. And at the end of season four, like that's how I feel. I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. Like they're together. Good. Buffy seems happy. I'm happy. It's all, it's all good. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think this is now wrapping up to the end. We're going to get to the most exciting part of any trial, which is the verdict. Uh, we're not going to take, you know, 30 days to you know talk it over, <laughs> you know, like 10 hour <laughs> recess while we d- debate um, at the end of all of our conversation. What would we say, Cara? Is it like, you know, is it guilty or innocent or how do we want to? wrap this thing up well i certainly have come out of this rewatch of season four feeling more positive once again it continues to grow on me each time my mm-hmm. opinion has not um gotten worse when it comes to season four i'm still not going to call it my favorite season um and i think you know we've heard from you lark about all these things that you really like about it what is it about season four that you really find elevates it to the point where it's your favorite i think it's so it's a combination of things like i said it's like really campy and that's just a thing that i very much enjoy and like seek out in media is joy for the sake of joy i think and i think that that's what camp gives us is like we're just doing this because it makes us happy um and i i really appreciate that also i think it just has like at least six of the episodes are like standout episodes that are consistently on lists of like the best episodes of Buffy full stop. And to have such a density of them in one season is like, it's hard to have that and then be like, but this isn't a great season, you know? 
Um, I really, really love Spike and Giles, like old married couple <laughs> vibe. And there's just like so much about it that I think is just like, this is really fun. And the rewatchability is really high. And we only had to skip one episode, beer bad. And I just think it's, I just think it's great. Yeah. Poor beer bad. <laughs> <laughs> Justice for beer bad. That's Cal Penn in it and no one wants to watch it. It's right? Come on. Very <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. What about you, Jesse? Honestly, I think a lot of why I love season four is in the rewatchability of it. Like there's obviously seasons of Buffy that have a more cohesive, like overarching arc. But I think for me, I think for me, the older I get, if I'm like rewatching a show, it's because it makes me just feel so much joy in watching it. And I think that I think this is like hands down, like the the lightest season of Buffy. Like if you just want to rewatch Buffy and like have a good time and not feel super sad about what is happening to Buffy. Like this, this is the season. This is the season where she has the least amount of angst. She has the one birthday where nothing terrible happens to her personally. Mm. Um, like she has a like boyfriend who is just a nice corn fed himbo. I'm like, good for you, Buffy. And it's just, it's like, and say in comparison to season six, which has a lot of things going for it, but I just find so depressing and I cannot watch if I'm act- if I'm like in a depressed state, I'm like, I cannot watch the season. This is too real. But like season four isn't real at all. It's like, you know, clearly the writers are like, I love the X-Files. I love Star Trek The Generation. We're just going to mash this into Buffy. And I'm like, great, perfect. <laughs> yep. And we get like, we get, we get like Anya as like becoming a full character. We get Tara. We get we get Spike being sort of part of the gang awkwardly, but still having kind of his the right. He has his edge. Spike here at his best in a way that is in a lot of ways. Spike at like at his peak, in my opinion. Well, yeah. Spike's in denial. In a lot of ways, of his face turn right. He's like, I'm still bad. Everybody, <laughs> everybody, see how bad I still am. No, 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 no. <laughs> and even like. And even like Harmony's a gem here. Yeah. Oh, like, Harmony, like this, Harmony. Like, like I love Harmony so much. And in this season, it's just it's like it's also just a great season for her. And there's just so many funny, joyous, ridiculous things that are happening that I think if people like wanna, you know, rewatch a season, this is the season I'd recommend rewatching. It's definitely the so. calm before the storm. You know, yeah. I see what you're yeah. saying about that because season five is rough for Buffy. <laughs> yeah. And like, it's rough for Buffy and people feel so contentious about Dawn where it's like, this is sort of the last season before we get this uh, other additional character literally retconned <laughs> into the show. Yeah, yeah. It's like the next chapter coming up after this one. Um, yeah. For me, I think because seasons one and three to me are just, they're iconic. Like Buffy in the high school years to me is like a, a lot of the, iconic moments of the show it's why people fell in love with the show so transitioning into the college years usually doesn't work out for other shows i think buffy pulled it off in a lot of ways and i i give the season kudos for that uh my final verdict for season four is that when it's good it's very good right hush 
who are you, the yoga factor. These are standout episodes that we love or fear itself. Like, oh my God. A new man. What a, a new, <laughs> new man. A new man. <laughs> Ethan and Giles. Yeah, yeah. So the, <laughs> when it's good, it is like chef's kiss good. When it's bad, it is the absolute worst. Like where the wild things are. Cara and I could barely finish that episode. We had to go on tangents about other episodes that don't exist because we were like, what is this? We kept making up alternative episodes. Yeah. Like one where like Riley meets, meets, was it Riley meets Joyce? We never get that episode until the very end. I think he meets her. Um, Like in Europe, gallivanting around until like the last episode of this season. She didn't come home for Thanksgiving. She's like, bye. No, she's off doing her thing, smoking pot, like just living her life, like loving that like empty nester lifestyle. Um, But yeah, like where the wild things are. um, Beer bad, obviously at the lower end there. Even Doomed was a snoozer. So when when season four gets it right, it is so, so good. So funny. So entertaining. And like you're saying, you know, Buffy's relatively happy in this season right so she doesn't die she doesn't have to stab her love through the chest right she has to watch her love get stabbed through her chest by adam but that's not as hard yeah so there's that but then yeah on the other hand there it stumbles along the way as all the seasons do um but i do appreciate this season for taking us away from the format of high school that we love and we got to know so well and they did so well um and they're taking us somewhere else because the journey goes on right you leave high school things change and i think that they showed that progression and that transition well so i will give it that this is not one of my favorite seasons but it's a memorable season for sure and re-watching it has changed my mind before i would have been like snooze but now that i've rewatched it me and car obviously meticulously scanned through everything and discussed it. Um, I have an appreciation for it and also being older and watching it too, right? You can look at these things and be like, wow, like that's actually outstanding writing for television. Yeah, I'm very sympathetic to a lot of the points that all of you are making here because um, I see what you're saying, Lark and Jesse, about the, um, the rewatchability, the lightness, the comfortableness of this season you know, Jesse, I'm currently on a rewatch of Star Trek The Next Generation just because I can put an episode on and it doesn't matter what episode it is. I know it's going to be safe. I watched you know? it twice in 2020 for that reason. I was like, that was great. I'm starting over. <laughs> Rewind. Let's go else. again. <laughs> yeah. That, you know, a lot of TV shows these days don't have that quality. I find that television these days has pivoted to be extremely dark. And often quite depressing. And I'm not here for it, especially because we continue to be in this awful, awful plot line in reality. Mm. So um, I definitely, I'm here for those lighter shows. So I see that argument. And I think maybe where I get stuck is like, I do, I'm also here for like the epic storytelling. And I think that's kind of where Steph was saying, like seasons one to three established Buffy as like this epic show. And then kind of like you were talking about earlier, Lark, season four, the whole point is that it's not as epic. And so I think maybe what we're discovering is that Buffy as a series is actually kind of like several different TV shows. And, you know, in terms of what what somebody picks as like their favorite season, it's almost kind of like, well, which TV show are you really most drawn to? And you can recognize mm-hmm. that the other TV shows in this series are 
also good and also, you know, have their qualities, but it's like, what, which one really is like speaking to your soul? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling the love though. Like this was, yeah. I, I, I thought we'd be a lot harsher on season four, or at least I thought, you know, I would, and maybe Steph would, um, but I'm feeling the love here. So I think, I think Steph, we have to exonerate season four of a lot of the, um, <laughs> and we Steph. are the gayers you came here and you changed our minds <laughs> <laughs> i feel like the like infectious like the enthusiasm that jesse and i have for season four like so many of our listeners have been like i you i feel completely differently about this season than i did going in i was so confused about why you started here but like I am a, a completely different person about this season now because I like we're just so stoked on it. Yeah, <laughs> like, well, that makes you good hosts, right? You want people to feel your enthusiasm. Which season are you least enthusiastic about coming to? Uh, I think we're anticipating that season one will be the last one that we cover. Mm, interesting. Um, I am second least excited to cover season five, which is very controversial, but. I don't like that season at all. That's fair. Okay, so uh, (laughs) season four is innocent of all charges. I don't know (laughs) if it's innocent. I feel like some of these charges should just be dismissed, right? Maybe we should just Mm. drop some of these charges. It's not even worth having the trial about them. Yeah, people just really enjoyed the trial. (laughs) They just just tuned in, got to work, enjoyed. I I feel like even of the charges it's guilty of i think maybe like we should stay the sentence if that makes sense right like i think mm-hmm. the season is guilty of some things it's guilty of not really being a very epic or interesting season but you know as, as lark was arguing maybe that's a good thing so yeah. maybe we shouldn't you know sentence it for that <laughs> it walks is what we're saying <laughs> it's a free man i just want to say that i feel like l woods at the end of uh Legally Blonde, because I'm just like, yes. I'm going to get this acquittal. <laughs> We're going to get these judges <laughs> You've won your case, is what you're saying, right? Also, well, that, that also hinges on some queerness, right? So, Yeah, it sure does. Um, it's sure. also contemporary with season four. Yeah, it is. That movie's old now. Another uh, weirdly sympathetic yet cardboard love interest. True. Yeah. They also and again, the Wilson brother, whichever one that is. Even though the real love is between Elwood and Emma Blair, but whatever. yes, obviously. No, El- <laughs> Bruiser. Hello. <laughs> oh yeah. Bru- Gacknar. Bruiser would be a perfect Gacknar for you. <laughs> oh my god. Do you do a bonus episode of Legally Blonde? <laughs> I think we do. I think we need to have you guys back uh, on. I think you. Should. <laughs> yes, think absolutely. Should. Legally Blonde on trial. <laughs> uh, I love. I love that movie. That's brilliant. So... I. Have- <laughs> Nothing to do with Buffy, nothing to do with what we do, but we're doing it. Small blonde protagonist. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I've seen the sequel, it's always not as good as the first one, but it's fine. I saw the sequel in theaters. Oh wow. Uh, No, I haven't seen it. It was much more disappointing on the big screen. Jesse and Lark, thank you so much for joining us for this trial session. Uh, couldn't have done it without you. Didn't know it was going to end up like this with me being like, is this the greatest season of all time? Like, who can say? Uh, we got one more episode to cover, Car and I. But yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having yeah, us. Yeah, thanks for so having us back. 
And uh, feel free to have me back for uh, True Blood on trial because <laughs> Ooh. I have very strong feelings about Tara Thornton that I am ready to, to oh, go to bat Oh, we saw her. your, uh, Kara show me your tweet where you're like, are, you, are Prophecy Girls convincing me to rewatch True Blood? <laughs> I've, been, I've been thinking about it since since that episode. You guys did the episode episode one and two. I'm like, oh no, I've been thinking. Do it. I'm up to episode six now, so we'll see, we'll see how long it takes me to get through it. <laughs> Uh, well we will see you guys again thank you so much for joining um for all of our listeners out there we have one more bonus episode coming your way before we end off season four and start uh lark's least favorite season season five (laughs) (laughs) do you have anything you'd like to plug to our listeners yeah so folks should follow us on instagram and Twitter. We're at the Gaily Prophet. Everything is under the umbrella of the Gaily Prophet. So um, Instagram and Twitter at the Gaily Prophet, patreon.com slash the Gaily Prophet. If you want to listen to We Are the Gayers and all of our stuff is on our website, which is hashtag ruthless.com. And I believe Car and I will be stopping over at uh, hashtag ruthless.com pretty soon to cover yes. a special episode. <laughs> a very special episode. Very excited about this. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much for being with us on this journey as we put season four on trial. Um, Thank you to all of our listeners who have been with us on this journey, especially our Buy Me a Coffee supporters, including our chosen ones. Lizzie. Emma. Hannah. Taza. Holly. Kyle. Kayla. Destiny. Brady. Erica. Jordan. Allison. Lena. Jace. Julian, Haley, Nicola, and Tasha. Thanks, everyone. We will see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you want and can afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options. We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week. We also invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and prophecy underscore girls on Twitter. You can also email us at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca, where you can find the link to our Discord. Praise Moloch! See you next week!